1: If you know me, you know I'm a big fan of study abroad. I've always believed it's a great catalyst to expose more students of color to the greater world. Language acquisition, intercultural skills, and networking are just some of the things that I think underrepresented students can get if only they have access. Which is why my next guest is here. Enter my friend and higher ed colleague, Corey Saunders. Corey is a study abroad professional who, as you will hear, is equally passionate about representation both on the student and on the student affairs professional side. She shares her story of going international from learning Spanish at a young age to living in Europe to complete a graduate degree as well as how she transitioned from marketing to the field of higher education. We discuss the barriers that keep underrepresented groups from going, challenge the idea of deficiency thinking, and talk strategies to diversify the study abroad profession. Corey is definitely one of my faves, and you get to listen in on one of our conversations. Welcome to the Global Chatter. So, thank you so much, Corey, for coming on today. Like I, you and I have conversations all the time. Um, you know, both of us as obviously educators and as Black women and, and, and really stuff around diversity and inclusion and just the international space. And so I am really pumped for this conversation. So welcome to the Chatter.
2: Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
1: I mean, full disclosure for whoever's listening in is the fact that you live like two minutes away. So we probably... <laughs> We probably could have done this in the same room, to be honest.
2: I mean, if these COVID streets weren't real right now, we
1: yeah, could have. I mean, I thought about it, too. I was like, I could just drive to Corey's house, set up a mic, and we'd be, we'd be done. We should have did that, though. I mean, besides it being COVID, but... No, no, we really should have. And actually, you know what? Like, uh, let's see maybe later on. I mean, like I said, you really are down the road. <laughs> we, we might do a different episode and actually do it um, in the same space. And so, all right, let, you know... As as we get started, I think it's really important for for people to know your background and and your international story. Um, you are obviously by the fact that I said that you're down the street. You are also in North Carolina with me. We work at the same university. But can you tell folks a little bit about your personal and professional background and 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 your career path?
2: So I grew up in Orange, New Jersey, which is 20 to 30 minutes outside of New York City mm-hmm. with my identical twin sister, Kia, and our parents, uh, grandparents and extended family were were um, made a huge impact on my life. I had a cousin who spoke Spanish, or a couple of cousins who spoke Spanish, and I really wanted to know, I really liked the language, even from like a really small child, and I wanted to learn it. And so my parents do not speak Spanish. We're African-American, Black, by race and ethnicity. Uh, and they did not speak Spanish. So they were like, take it in school mm-hmm. and figure out ways in which you can better your language skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they always encouraged me. So I took Spanish in middle school and high school. And when I got to college at Hanson University, HBCU alum. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I went in as a marketing major and then um, learned that there was a Spanish, uh, that there were Spanish uh, majors as well. So I decided to double major. Mm. From there, I studied abroad. Twice as an undergrad, once in Spain, uh, after my freshman year, it was a two-week Spanish language program, more Spanish program, Spanish art program, I should say, Mm -hmm. and uh, that we toured cities around Spain, uh, which was a great experience, especially for, it was a group of black and brown students, and Mm. so it was a really great experience for us to be together and experience it together, and, uh, you know, dispel some of those myths of, we don't do this, because we definitely do. Yeah. And then after my junior year, one of my great great friends uh, and classmates, Joya and I, went to Guadalajara, Mexico, for Spanish language immersion. And after I graduated from Hampton University, I then went to Brazil with another friend, um, Tashana. We went to Brazil because she was studying architecture at the time, and her class, her her class was going to Brazil to learn architecture. She called me one day and said, hey, do you want to go to Brazil and study abroad again? And I said, "Uh, how much and when do we leave? (laughs) Mm. Um, And the cool thing about that was that my advisor and professor for marketing was also wound up being on that program. So for me as being a first year alum and getting able to reconnect and see my professor who uh, made such an impact on on me and my degree was there as well we got to experience that together so so that was really cool but i always listened to spanish music growing up soya cruz and mark anthony Tito puente were my people mm-hmm. um, and i lived on the street my street when i where i grew up was really diverse in my opinion so it was my neighbor to one side of me tom he was white my other neighbors were white nuns. Then down the street, uh, they were they were Italian. My friends were black. Uh, down the street further, on the other side, they were Irish. So I almost had like this. United Nations on my my small street, and then growing out of that street, my friends were from Guyana, Trinidad, Tobago, um, Dominican Republic, Haiti. And so I always was around all these different cultures growing up, which I found was to be an extreme blessing. And so that also is what propelled me to continually want to learn about languages and cultures and why I studied abroad.
1: So... Just thinking about your responses to that question, the thing that I, I, I think really sticks out, and and I think this is going to be really important, even in, in the later part of our conversation, is the fact that even though you didn't come from a family that spoke Spanish, um, your parents encouraged you to learn a language even as young as middle school or, or maybe even a little bit younger. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, a lot younger. Like, they encouraged me to to explore those cultures. And maybe it's because they're from New York city and they Mm -hmm. were around so many different cultures growing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, they always encouraged my sister and I to, to learn about whatever we were interested in.
1: Mm -hmm. And I, I love that because, you know, both, both you and I are educators and, and I worked for a very long time with, students of color in the, in the middle and high school years. And I would always say about the importance of learning a language. And, and that's actually going to be part of things I think shapes your career as we get to that in a moment, but how much value, how much value there is, if, if you don't already speak a second or third language, but learning another language in terms of the opportunities. And so, um, as you mentioned, you obviously had the opportunity to study abroad and then, you at one point actually decided to do your master's. You you did a master's that took you both obviously in the U S but also back to Spain. Is that correct? Correct. So can you talk a little bit about what your decision-making, your decision-making process was and how you even found out that that was a possibility?
2: So one of my, I thought that I was going to go to grad school, like right after undergrad, but being a business major, um, you know, it, you're always told, do go to work first, get some experience, and then go back. Mm-hmm. So when I was working in Newsweek magazine, my uh, the, my supervisor, uh, Michael Voss, was like, get your master's while you're young. And I was like, already on it. Mm-hmm. I'm about to start applying. But I realized then that I wanted a program that had an automatic study abroad component. Mm-hmm. That was a huge part of my undergrad experience. I wanted to continue to potentially better my language if the program had an opportunity to go to, to go to a Spanish-speaking country, although I was open to other countries and cultures as well. Mm-hmm. And so I did not look at any MBA programs that did not have an automatic study abroad component. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at a couple of schools, a couple of institutions, and applied to only the programs, MBA programs that had, international MBA programs that had an automatic study abroad component. And so I I didn't necessarily want to go to Spain. I honestly, growing up where I grew up, the Spanish that I often heard was from Latin America. Mm-hmm. So I would have preferred honestly to go to a Latin American country. And my professors, uh, both my advisor for my Spanish major, uh, Dr. Nelly McCray, she's from Nicaragua. And my other professor, I'm trying to remember where Dr. Cornell is from. He's from a country in South America, but I don't want to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh he they both had so much influence on me that I would have preferred to go to a Latin American country, honestly. But I made some amazing friends in Spain, so I will not take that, uh I will not take that back, mm-hmm. you know, that experience back. But so I wound up in Spain because that was where uh the my degree. Um, that was where my discipline was. Mm-hmm. So in my graduate program, the first semester, you, everyone in the consortium basically takes the same core classes. Mm-hmm. And then the second semester, you are supposed to choose your area of study. And that basically determines where you go. Mm-hmm. And so Spain, international marketing was in, at the University of Valencia in Spain. So that is why I wound up in Spain versus a Latin American country. It was just a perfect meld of both international marketing, and I was still able to practice uh, my Spanish language skills and learn more about uh, Castilian Spanish and and Spain itself.
1: And so I meant to ask this earlier, um, because obviously you studied abroad in undergrad and then this opportunity in graduate school. Had anyone else in your family traveled internationally?
2: Yes. So um, my parents took, uh, well, like my... My family, like we had done cruises before uh, growing up. We've done, we did like two, I think, by then. And um, for my eighth grade trip, our school—shout out to Orange Middle School—we um, went to Canada. Mm-hmm. Our one of our English teachers um, um, planned this trip for us to go to Toronto. Mm-hmm. We were the first class to do that. And then a couple of classes after us went to Canada as well. And so we also went to Toronto, Canada as a class. So maybe that was kind of like studying abroad in eighth grade. I never thought about it like mm-hmm. that. Um, and we didn't really take any classes, right? We did more cultural, uh, events. And, uh, so we did that and, yeah so I had said so i had I had a passport and I went to other countries before studying abroad, but I had never gone to other continents. I had not gone to other continents yet
1: and so I think everybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge advocate of study abroad, especially for black and brown students, especially for first gen. I'm curious, especially when you got to the collegiate level and then You know obviously if you got a little bit older how did your parents like were they supportive were they nervous were they concerned about you going to all these places as a college student
2: so i always like to say my parents knew their child Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they were super supportive both of my parents went to college as well but they had not studied abroad Mm -hmm. and so they always knew like my my passion and my like desire to be fluent in spanish and so they encouraged me to do whatever that took. Mm-hmm. And so when I was like, I want to study abroad, here's all the things. This is what I need to do. This is how much it costs. They said, you can figure out a way, go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were super, super supportive. I did not have the parents or the family that was like, we don't want you to go. Mm-hmm. You know, none of that. Mm-hmm. They they supported myself when I studied abroad. And they also supported my sister when she studied abroad. So we did not run into any of that. Now, there were some other family members and friends that might have been a little nervous. <laughs> but, um, but they just asked my parents, sent the questions or asked me tons of questions, but they knew their child. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful that they knew me and they supported me and what they knew that I needed for myself.
1: So, and the reason, you know, we're spending some time really getting into your background and and, and actually understanding these things is because it really does set up for what you are doing now. And so, so for, for the people who don't know, what is your current role?
2: So I am currently an assistant director, uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion and strategic marketing. And I flipped my title. So maybe I should say that correctly. (laughs) I am the assistant director for strategic marketing, diversity, and inclusion at an institution Mm -hmm. in the study abroad office, Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's my title. So
1: super long title for <laughs> super, like, with, for such a small person. Right? <laughs> with, with a lot of responsibility. So basically, what do you do?
2: So I work in a study abroad office. I work on all the strategic marketing efforts for the entire office. And I have amazing colleagues that do uh, aspects of that, uh, of, of the marketing work in our office. Um, and I lead all of the diversity, equity and inclusion efforts in our office. This was my position was the first position that had diversity, equity and inclusion Mm -hmm. in the role. Mm -hmm. I started as an international program coordinator and then was promoted to assistant director for strategic marketing, diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so that is a large part of, of my role. I also manage a couple of regions. So I manage the Americas, which includes Latin America and Eastern Europe and South Africa. So I manage our exchange partner relationships within those regions. Mm-hmm. And I also work with one of the colleges in our institution
1: um, on all of their short-term programs. Mm. So that's a lot. That, no, that's a ton. And, and so I think let's get to the heart of this. Why, I guess, am I looking in, why do you think there there is a DEI focus? What, what's the need for it?
2: So if you look at the data, mm-hmm. I sound so much like I'm in higher ed right now. Yeah. If you sound look like at the Because I always
1: say that. I'm like, well, if you look at the data, study abroad. But yeah, <laughs>
2: go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> the typical study abroad student is a white
1: mm-hmm.
2: identified female mm-hmm. student studying liberal arts mm-hmm. um, who is mid to usually upper social class mm-hmm. traditional student. Mm-hmm. That has been the quote-unquote typical student in study abroad. Mm-hmm. However, that is not that is not the population. That is not the only population that we serve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I- And honestly, for me, I didn't know that when I was in college. I just knew if I wanted to learn a language, I needed to study abroad. So I didn't have any preconceived notions of who could or couldn't study abroad. Mm-hmm. But what I was really tired of hearing was... this is even after I studied abroad people like there's this notion of they don't do this or we don't do this meaning black and brown people Mm -hmm. or people of difference or diverse populations don't study abroad. And, I was really tired of hearing, and you know this, Amanda, this deficit model language mm-hmm. being discussed about my people mm-hmm. and people of
1: marginalized communities that I wanted to I wanted to work to flip that narrative. And so here's here's what I think there are two things that you've said that have kind of stuck out to me. I think the first one is you didn't have any preconceived notions about who could and could not go, right? And and when you said that, part of my mind went, okay, Corey went to Hampton it's a historically black institution, right? So, you know, I'm assuming of course, Hampton had a study abroad program. So most of the people who are gonna study abroad are gonna be black because it's Hampton. But then the other thing then that kind of jumped out to me was even, even if you are in an HBCU environment, and this is going to this point of what you said about a deficit model in terms of who does and doesn't do it, right? Even if you are in that environment, when we look at greater society and I've, I've said this a million times when you look at media, right. When, and I'm talking movies. Okay. Um, And who gets to have an international experience, right. Who gets to have a summer holiday in Europe or wherever they're going. Right. It is exactly that individual, that stereotypical individual that you just described, right. Typically a white female, upper income, upper middle income, you know, um, probably in that 18 to 23 age range, but you never see, you know, uh, Monique <laughs> going to uh, somewhere international, right? You never see Deshaun going somewhere international. And, and I think that those are the things that we're, we, we tend to be battling against. It's one, having the availability and the access to the programs, but then also seeing yourselves as part of that story. Does that make sense? <laughs>
2: It definitely does make sense. I mean, when I was at Hampton university, we did not have a study abroad office. Mm-hmm. So while I'm in this career now, this is like career number two. Right. Because I didn't know, like that wasn't in my peer review. My professors who are rock stars, two who I already mentioned, mm-hmm. they're the reasons why I studied abroad. Mm-hmm. But I had to go through like Old Dominion University, Mm -hmm. which is a predominantly white institution, Mm -hmm. when my friend Joya and I did study abroad to go to Guadalajara, Mexico. So it wasn't that what I, like the atmosphere that I work in didn't necessarily exist. Mm. There just wasn't, I just didn't experience as much, like I knew some people would say, oh, we don't do this. But then I looked at my ancestors, W.E.B. Du Bois, Josephine Baker, Mary McLeod Bethune. I knew that from reading, and thank you for all of my village who taught me my history, I knew that they had international experiences. So I knew that I could too. And I know that's not everybody's story, mm-hmm. but that's why I'm here. Because even if your story is not my story, I want to show you that you can do this too. This is not just for someone else, but
1: this is for you too. And so then I think you, you actually hit on the third thing. So full disclosure, <laughs> I... Two have done way too much research on (laughs) study abroad and black and brown students. And, you know, when you look at some of the data as well, and they say the biggest driver, right, if you want to get a black student or a brown student, but particularly black students in the U.S. to go abroad internationally, right, the one of the biggest drivers, and this is probably in the top two, is black faculty that say you can do it. And black faculty who have done it right and show them the way, and and I think just in you giving a shout out to those professors, right? You actually just sort of embodied that because I and I wrongfully assumed, right, that your institution had it, and I'm I'm speaking as someone who went to predominantly white institutions, so study abroad has always been there, even if you know you chose to take it or not. But I think you that even further exemplifies the importance and the value and how much. Black professors, Black faculty, Black staff have in actually encouraging Black students to go abroad.
2: And I will say,
1: BIPOC faculty, because
2: both of the people that I named were are in the Latinx community. Yeah,
1: yeah, no,
2: and so Absolutely. yeah, but it, it really it does it definitely makes a difference because especially when there's so many. I mean, there's so many things that people want to tell Black and Brown and BIPOC students what they can and cannot do. Right. Like there's so many things. And I'm just looking like, why would you say that to anybody? You know, so if you're not going to say that to Johnny over there, don't say it to Jamel. You know, just like that, this makes no sense to me. And so I just wanted to make sure that I just wanted to do my part. My professors who all of them have, no, all of the ones that I have from Hampton University that I'm really close to, because, you know, everybody has a professor too. You're like, no, no, no. right? But, um, they have instilled so much in me that I wanted to just continue and pay that forward and be a part of the solution that I, uh, to a problem that I saw.
1: So I am curious, what, what are the things that you were hearing that maybe staff or faculty or just other adults were saying to, to maybe one group of students that they were not saying to another group of students?
2: I don't always think it's that simple, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that I say to, faculty, when I am talking to them about marketing and recruitment, is I ask them, who do you usually target as your student audience? And I want them to think about that. Mm -hmm. Who has usually historically, if this is a faculty who has run their programs multiple times, who is usually the one, who's usually the majority population in your programs? Now, are those the students that you typically target year after year? Or, ha- or have you expanded your reach to other students that don't look like that normal target of who you're targeting especially when you're teaching there's so many when you're when you're teaching courses that are applicable to everyone which all of them should be mm-hmm. so I, I that's one thing that I start when I'm talking about marketing and recruitment uh, not just broadening your scope so that you can get more numbers mm-hmm. but you need to broaden your scope so that you're your classroom or not just your, 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 your world classroom is as diverse as it should be not for, so that all students have that opportunity. It's about the access that, students are given? Do they even know about your program? Do they know that it exists? And so, and where are you going? Uh-huh. Are you going to Multicultural Student Affairs? Are you going to the LGBTQ plus IA Center? Are you going to the Africana Studies classes? Are you going to the Latin Equis and Chicano Studies classes? Are you going to the native, I mean, I wish all these classes existed, but I know in some institutions they do not, not yet, Mm -hmm. but are you going to, are you meeting the students where they are that would really benefit from your program? And have you done the work yourself on identity so that you can actually welcome these students that you might be recruiting to be on your program, which I know is probably a whole other topic?
1: So I think the marketing piece is really fascinating because, uh, before I went to Qatar, I was doing, I was working up, finishing up my master's in counseling and I, I ran, you know, for my counseling degree, there's individual, there's group counseling and there's other stuff you have to do. And so I had to run a group and my group, actually the group that I ran almost kind of found me. So these were, <laughs> I had six, sorry, I had five, Black identified women who had all studied abroad. And then it's almost like I created my own mini me's. Their names all started with the letter A <laughs> and they all had natural hair. It was kind of wild. Anyway, but they, you know, they had so many thoughts on why their institution's numbers, as far as Black and brown students and 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 non-traditional students weren't that great in study abroad. And and this is an institution, and this is the fact that was really interesting. This was an institution an institution where it was quote unquote majority minority, right? So even though the majority of the students that attended that university were not the, the, you know, what we would consider necessarily white identifying traditional age, all of that, those were still the majority of the students that were having study abroad experiences. And so they were wondering, where are the folks in these majors? Where are the males? Where are more black and brown people? And and it really was this conversation about marketing. And to your point, what you just said, where are you reaching these students? And And one of the things that I seem to learn in my research is that I think especially with, and I'm going to say PWI, so predominantly white institution is, the mechanisms and the methods of which you think would reach some of these students, especially when we're talking about racial and ethnic groups, are not always necessarily the best way, right? So what you've been doing for the majority does not necessarily work to reach these students. And then I think the the added issue, which I think just by your presence, you kind of start to alleviate some of this is a lot of the staff and faculty in the positions in these offices, it's not necessarily particularly diverse. So if we just mention that, especially for Black and Brown students, and I'm thinking about the work I've done and the parents that I've had to speak to, um, may in some cases be inclined to wanting to talk to someone who is a minority because of their own particular situation. And then the offices don't look like... Necessarily, the student population or aren't diverse. I think you just have this perfect snowstorm of just, you know, you're not going to recruit and get more students because, from the marketing on down and the outreach efforts, you you don't look like, you know, you're not diverse. So why would they? Why would they even consider this? I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that.
2: It's like, you know, when someone is talking to you. You know, when it's, someone is talking through you, you know, you. there's a feeling that you get when you know you're welcomed into a space, right? Yeah. There's a feeling that you get when you see, when you see representation and it doesn't necessarily just have to be like your specific ethnic group or your specific race, especially for BIPOC people. I think that sometimes it's just nice to see that you're not going to be the only other person,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like the one that's considered the other and for a lot of us especially if you go to a predominantly white institution your classes might look like that where you're the only person your your interactions with groups around campus you might be the only so why do you want to go and be the only in another situation <laughs> that will take you out of totally out of your comfort zone and i don't know how many people think about it in that way uh so See, being able to talk to, being able to see and understand that someone else that may have some of the similar challenges that you have and some of the similar triumphs that you have mm-hmm. can, that you can relate to mm-hmm. always makes a difference. I mean, i studied abroad as an HBCU student and I've studied abroad as a student at a PWI institution. Mm-hmm. My my abil- My experiences at an HBCU helped me to uh, like now I'm I'm used to being the one of the only or the one of few in many of the spaces that I'm in and uh in my career both before in international marketing and corporate and now but that that foundation that I got from HBCU Mm -hmm. it allows me to do the work that I do today but it's so important and I And what I don't want people to do is use this as a buzzword or like a placation over issues of, Oh, okay. We have one black person in our office. We're doing great. Or we have one BIPOC person in our office or even two Mm -hmm. in our office. Like, all right, we've made it. We got it. Now all the black students going to run to us. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. And nor should they, Mm -hmm. you still have to do the work within your office to be inclusionary on all levels because students can tell a front when they see one Mm -hmm. students can tell when you being for real and when you just trying to get over Mm -hmm. just like many of us can as adults. And so it's really important to have that authenticity and to have that community And if you don't have it, then you need to think about building it within those offices. And you need to build them not just for the students, but if you do hire a Black or Brown or a BIPOC person, you need to make sure that your culture in your office, in these study abroad offices, are also welcoming to these colleagues. We're not numbers. We are actual people, human beings. And- You need to create a welcoming environment. Don't expect that Black or BIPOC person to just fit into your culture. You need to make sure that that culture is really inclusive and welcoming for them too. Hmm. And I, you know, as you were speaking... I don't know if that answered your question, but I hope it did. I mean, it answered a lot
1: of things. It don't even matter if it answered my question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, I was like, yes, all of this. And you're thinking, because you're and here's the funny part. Like right now, we've we've just framed the question and the conversation around what's happening within the office, right? In terms of marketing and strategy or whatever. I want to take it a step further. So, you know. Once again, from the stuff that I've read, the data, the experiences, and 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 I'm curious to get your take on this. One of the challenges I think also has been that a lot of times, and I think this might be getting better now, is that study abroad programs, at least they used to not, I don't know if they do it these days, but they used to also not offer programs that necessarily would have been appealing to black and brown students. And what I mean is this, um, just from the stuff that I've researched from conversations, just from my own life, stuff that I've seen. Right. Um, of course, if you want to study abroad in Europe, and I think you're even a great example, right? If you want to study abroad in Europe, especially Western Europe, you can find a program, right? You can go to Germany, Spain, UK, France, Belgium, whatever, Switzerland, whatever. Right. Right. But what a lot of stuff that I was also reading was that particularly black students, they often they want study abroad, but often they want a heritage part of it. Right. There's maybe some part of their their history, their story they want to identify with. And I know that the institution I used to work at pri- prior to this one, um, there was a very popular study abroad experience that was led by black faculty at that school. And it was to France, but it was specifically about the black experience, the African-American experience, in France and it was particularly to Paris because there's a long history there. But but beyond that I know that students have always had an interest in going to places that are not Europe, right? They wanted to go mm-hmm. to parts of Africa, they wanted to go to parts of Latin America because there, there's that heritage connection. And and I wonder just from what you're seeing is that something that you that that is the case or that you've seen it come up? Is there is there an more of an interest if those places or in or at least if they are going to the more common places, kind of that nuance of the black and brown experience, does that come up in the conversation?
2: I think it depends on the student and why they want to go. Mm-hmm. But yes, that that does and can come up um, with some of the students that I work with. They. Either I So me now having a region in Latin America, I do see some students are heritage seeking students or some students may have been born in one country in Latin America and now they want to learn about another country in Latin America that's either like neighboring or just to get a different cultural vibe than the, the country that they were born in, that they were, that they're where they were born. Mm-hmm. But they still want to get another aspect of, of Latin American culture. So I've also seen that. Um, and so I've seen where there are students who want to learn more about their, their roots. And then I've also worked with students who have gone to other places that are more West, uh, you know, like the top, like study mm-hmm. Western Europe mm-hmm. um, or Australia or other places and where students brought their culture along with them. So they would might try to find places um, that have more black and brown people where they are, Mm. or um, or if they met other students that are that were also black and brown and made you know lifelong friendships with them. Mm -hmm. So I've seen I've seen I've seen variations of that, but I I have seen and I have worked with students who were interested, or if it was short term programs like you were like what you were saying. I have seen programs like what you were said in in uh, in other consortiums and other universities that my students have taken part in as well.
1: And so let's 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 even flip this even more. Let's let's really talk about the value of the study abroad experience, particularly for Black and Brown students. Because I remember years ago, I had a I had a mom who, you know, they were they're from the Mid Atlantic in the U.S. They. Black family, hadn't traveled, six kids. Um, travel for them, which was like for a lot of Black folks, was, you know, maybe they'd go up to North to see family in maybe New York. Or maybe they had family in Atlanta, right, in Georgia. Um, but they, they did not do international travel. And I remember, I think it was the third daughter, she was in college and wanted to study abroad And I think it was actually to Spain because she spoke Spanish and mom called me and we have to have this like hour and a half long conversation. And so, um, and I remember talking mom through the importance and the value and what it could do for her career and all these other things. And so, um, what is some of the value and, 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 and why is it, why do you see this as something that's important that more students of color really need to take opportunities in doing this?
2: So in terms of study abroad itself, one of the benefits of studying abroad, besides, yes, acquiring language skills, if that is one of your goals, stepping outside of your comfort zone to learn about a different culture, different country, different communities. But I will argue in terms of that, a lot of Black and brown people have to do that anyway, even in the US, because even if we live in black and brown like communities, a lot of times where you may work or where you may go to school or the university you choose allows us to do that even here in the US, but it is so much more expansive when you do that abroad. But I do want to recognize that because I don't think people give that enough thought that when you move outside of your community And for many of us who are black and brown, who don't necessarily work in the same communities in which we live and all these other things that that is a thing, but going abroad and studying abroad allows you to expand your mind in so many different ways. Amanda, I don't have to tell this to you. You Mm -hmm. know, that Um, it gives you many different, it allows you to expand your perspectives of how things work, how things function, how things are done differently. That you can also take into your life if that works for you or leave it if it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but it, it allows you to understand so many more the way that other people live. And so when you're back in the United States, when you are working with people from different communities, different cultures, you have a better understanding of how to interact and how to, how to work together. And so that's one of the things for in study abroad it's often said that studying abroad uh, uh, helps with your employability and so if if studying abroad helps for helps in uh, in your employability then our black and brown students definitely need to take opportunities to do it mm-hmm. because we already got stacks against us mm-hmm. unfortunately still in many places and spaces and so that adage, and I think uh, Forever First Lady Michelle Obama said, we have to be 10 times as good. Well, studying abroad gives you that high impact practice that allows you to practice so many of those soft skills that employers are looking for, that it will give you that, that edge or that leap. I know as working for Newsweek magazine, the reason why, one of the reasons why my supervisor said that he hired me was because I could speak to my study abroad experience and how it related to the marketing position that I was applying for at Newsweek. So I've seen how this happens firsthand.
0: And mm-hmm.
2: so. That, those are some of the reasons why it's really important. And then on a personal level, the growth that you experience, the the independence in a sense of you knowing that you can take care of yourself, that you can show your family and friends that, hey, I got this. They can see the growth in you. I know my family and my friends continually saw the growth in me after each experience that I had. And I brought that knowledge back to my community. So it wasn't just about Corey. Black and brown people our communities are very communal, even in the United States, where it's seen as we're so individualistic. That is not the case for everyone, and especially mm-hmm. in, in black and brown communities. And so whenever I studied abroad, I brought back that knowledge back to my community, back to my friends, back to my families, I would go back to my high school or elementary school and share my experiences, go back to my university and share my experience. And so that's something else that I feel um it's really important and hopefully I'm still answering your question. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's all of those things, is, which, is, which are reasons why students, especially black and brown students should take the opportunity. I mean, even practical things like learning how to budget. <laughs> Right, you know, right. going to the grocery store in another country where you cannot read anything, and you have to put on your critical thinking skills to figure out where you're going to buy this or that, or having to try a new food because the food that you used to just doesn't exist in this location. So right. it's all of these things that you don't even realize. I mean, my palate is so much more expansive now because my mom was like, "Oh gosh, this girl gonna go to Mexico and she not gonna eat nothing." Mm-hmm. Not true, but I can tell how my palate even expanded and my food choices expanded just by studying abroad. So there's so many, so many benefits to studying abroad besides just taking the course, which is really important mm-hmm. and passing the course. But it, it affects I, I always tell students study abroad is like life from the time you think you want to apply to when you return all of the things that you do relate to aspects of your life that you will continually do. Applying to the program, applying to a job. All these things are, they walk in tandem.
1: And I know that we keep hitting on this point, but, and I'm I'm probably going to put you on the spot here. And if you, if you don't have it off the top of your head, it's okay. Um, Because I haven't looked at, I haven't looked at the data recently, but when we look at overall Study abroad, right, and 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 sending students out. Now, of course, this year has just been. Let's just forget this year, right? Because this year, this year, this thank, year you, thank you. This year doesn't it, doesn't it apply for anything for any kind of measure of any kind of statistic. But in previous years, when when you've seen the data, right, in terms of particularly African Americans studying abroad, right, at the collegiate level, what was the percentages you were seeing of them making up? out of the total population
2: oh man like I can kind of like I just did a uh, you should have told me I could have pulled it up um because I I did a presentation last week on it but I want to say 20 something percent maybe is it up to 20 percent it could be I, I can't remember off the top of my head honestly but I do know that it has grown in like over the course of a couple decades,
1: uh, it's grown, but it's definitely not where we want it Wonder. to be. And and I and and that's the thing that always stood out to me. And I, because then I always think to myself, okay, what traditionally have been the barriers that have kept Black students from studying abroad? Because you just listed a whole bunch of benefits not even <laughs> mentioning language right of course language is kind of a given if you're going to somewhere where you where it's not your native tongue right if you're obviously going to the uk <laughs> whatever well, or if you're not going to a program that is based in english right absolutely and that that's that is key but you just listed all these amazing benefits to any student that goes abroad, right? Um, some of them are unique to being a student of color. Some of them are being a minority and some of them are not. So, but what has been the barriers? Because I, I, I really think that we've got to tackle the barriers if we're going to see more students of color really exploring this.
2: Yes, so I'm just going to say the one that most people think of off the top of their head, so we could get that one out the way, mm-hmm. which is finances, mm-hmm. which is true. It is a barrier, and I do not want to minimize that as a barrier because it definitely is. But a lot of people stop at finances, right? Which right. is like that's not the only thing. Um, so um, in I,
1: finance, <laughs> go ahead. I, I, let me just say this about finances too before before you go on. Pre- I was at a previous institution, and man, they were giving money away. <laughs> And they could not get POC students. And so even with finances and seeing what schools are doing right now, it's and I know you're going to get to these other reasons. But, yeah, people tend to stop at finances without actually knowing how much they need and what they could do and whatever. Um, But even sometimes when finances are can be covered. Sometimes students still won't do it. But anyway, that's just me talking. You go ahead.
2: <laughs> no, but that is actually correct. So, yes. Uh, yeah. So it is finances at times. And there are scholarships. The office that I work at has scholarships. And like the Gilman, Benjamin A. Gilman scholarship, if you receive a Pell Grant, it's a scholarship that we tell all students who receive a Pell Grant to apply to. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my issues in terms of finance is that the in-between students who are not in terms of financial aid, do not qualify for Pell grants and do not qualify for the highest financial need, but they still have need. That's, that's like my sticky point because a lot of those students do not get the money to to study abroad, unfortunately, or do not get scholarships period, not just to study abroad. I mean, so that is also another sticky point for me because they might have enough Money that they're above a certain threshold to go to college or to get loans, which a lot of us have had to take out. Mm -hmm. But they don't have the 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 extra income to then be able to study abroad. So I think that's a population that is, is is most of the time missing from the conversation, and not not just the high high need students in terms of financial aid. So I just wanted to throw that out there because. I feel like that's a population of students that we're missing in higher ed in general, as well as study abroad. Um, But finances is one thing, but it's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. The other is what we talked about before in terms of marketing and recruitment and who are who are the target students that you would think would want to participate in study abroad and sometimes are black and brown and BIPOC students are left out of that equation. But in addition to that, and I think you alluded to it, too, with the story of one of your students and the the, the parents is family, um, depending on the student. If the the family of that student hasn't traveled, then that might be a hurdle. Uh, there's someone said, um, you're in college now. You can take all your classes right here at said school. Why do you have to go across the world to take another class? I don't understand. So it's educating the families as well at times is, is what's needed. I mm-hmm. had a student who uh, they were like, I, I saw them at the gym. They were like, Corey. My mama is tripping. She ain't trying to hear me. And mm-hmm. I've already bought my plane ticket and I'm not staying here. So what are we <laughs> going to do? And I said, you and your mom can come to my office. You have to come with her because you're the adult in the situation too. You can come with her. And we had it. A... So when they came, mama saw me. It was like, What she about to tell me? <laughs> like She was like, I don't know if I'm trying to hear it. But by the end of our conversation, it was a done deal. And she was okay. She gave her blessing for her her student to go abroad and sometimes it is that educating the family as well but it's also empowering the student to educate the family mm-hmm. and my student tried but she wasn't trying to hear him, so <laughs> so you got to go to other tactics right uh, but I, it's that
1: too and i and i am gonna say and this is this is no shade against anybody else and we're gonna get to this but this is also why <laughs> i think having diverse staff is super key like <laughs> yes I mean, I'm, I'm just to be real, like I, like I have had conversations where parents have had with other folks. I don't even work in study abroad, to be honest, right? This, I've never worked in study abroad. I've never worked in international education. But because I've worked in ed, I work in higher ed, I've had these international experiences. There are parents who are like, OK, this is what they said. Now I need you to break this down so that I'm comfortable. Yeah. And so it is to me, a massive disservice if you just don't have a variety of folks from a variety of backgrounds in these offices, because all of our students have their nuances and all of their parents have their nuances. And 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 being able to speak to that, I think, just makes it a more enjoyable, comfortable experience for everyone. But anyway, that's just me talking. Carry on. No,
2: but you're <laughs> correct. And then for, I mean, and like you said, and for other, I mean, there's also other um, factors that go into it. Does the major that the black or brown student support study like the their their course of study that will it allow them to study abroad will mm-hmm. um does it work for them did they find out early enough to prepare? Mm-hmm. Some students come into college say, "Oh, I want to study abroad," but some don't and by the time they learn about it, do they have enough time to then figure everything out and mm-hmm. unfortunately. There's quite a lot of students that didn't think about it beforehand, not just black and brown students, white identified students, too. But we need to make sure that our black is in the sphere of our black and brown students just as much as it is in the sphere of the of the other students. hmm. And so so those are those are some, some barriers. Um, and then also the timing. hmm you're also, if you're going to do a summer program, are you going to choose between a summer program or an internship? Can you do both? I was blessed to be able to do both. And do they even realize that they could try to do both? Because sometimes you're like, oh, well, I can't do this. Well, I just got to do that. So it's also having relationships is one of the things that has made my career what it is,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: is building those relationships with Everybody with students, with faculty, with my fellow colleagues and staff and administrators to understand what is actually going on. The thing about these barriers is, yes, there are some barriers that, you know, you can rattle off of a list. But until you get to know that student and what they're really what's really going on, that's when you can really get to to figure out what barriers this student actually has and how we can actually overcome them. And so going a little bit deeper than the surface, and this can be in a five to 10 minute conversation with the student. This does not mean I need to know the student for 50, 50 days or weeks right. or whatever. It could be a, a short conversation. But through that short conversation, if you are authentic with the student and real with the student, the student is often authentic and can mirror that back. You find out what the student really needs and you can help them with that. And I think sometimes people don't take that opportunity to really do that. You cannot look at a student just as a student or a number. You have to look at said student as them and then work with them from there
1: and So what I like about the things that you were saying is that it's it's really funny when I look at the two of us right and and we're talking about obstacles and barriers and whatnot um, we We both as individuals have studied abroad we've both actually done it in very different ways, and I think that one of the one of the things that I think really hampers, especially. Uh, black students is that they don't know that there are different ways to like get this international experience. And so obviously you talked about doing it in college and and persevering and doing it. And then of course, doing your master's degree and spending part of your time in Spain. I, well, some people are actually surprised to hear that some people actually are not. I didn't study abroad in college at all. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and, and part of the reason I didn't is because my family was living in Cameroon. So <laughs> I was going to Africa Over, you know, winter break and summer break and and whatnot. And so I just didn't, I, I, it was just, I just needed some stability. And so I need to be in one place. And so I didn't study abroad in undergrad, but I studied abroad in graduate school. And so for me, you know, I, my, I did my first master's is in business. And I, I, you know, I, unlike you did not look for a program that did international stuff with that. But when I did my, my counseling master's. I particularly looked for a program where um, I, I was looking to do a study abroad opportunity and I found a program which was, I mean, this is hella niche because we're talking about counseling here, right? So eh, there are not that many study abroad programs that are specific to that, but there was a program, interestingly enough, through Oldie, Old Dominion. So <laughs> I, I guess for people who didn't go to ODU, I feel like we're shouting them out. So there you go, go go, go Old Dominion, um, because there had been a professor there in there counseling program who had started a program for folks who were in counseling at psych, whatever, to go to Italy. And then he subsequently <laughs> started one in Ireland and then he went somewhere else. And the only reason I found out about this but Esoteric program was because the chair of my department had studied under him when she was in New, or- New Orleans, and and so she said, "Hey, there's the study abroad program," and I went, "Oh my gosh, I want to do it!" and and I made it work, and I went to Italy, right? So that's how I went to Italy, and then, you know, for the people who don't know how I got to Qatar, was I knew I want to go to abroad, a go abroad, and I had to do an uh, so it, it must've been my, my, no, my practicum, because I'd already done my internship and I wanted to, or maybe it was the other way, you, you, either way, it was either the practicum or the externship, but it was first semester, you needed a semester of a certain amount of hours, you know, this is for, for your program. And so my, my, that same professor said to me, Hey, you know, a couple of years ago, we had a student go to Cutter and I think you might be interested, especially since you're doing career counseling and we could try and figure it out. Now. This this program was not a program set in stone. This was not a a regular thing, so it was not nice and neat. It took a ton of work. And actually the funny part is that when everything finally cleared between it was same university, two locations, right? Between the two universities, the the professors in my department were like, honestly, we didn't think you were going to be able to go based on how things were going. So we're actually amazed. They told me once once the ticket was in hand, we are amazed you made this happen because there were enough obstacles. And you have to understand, as it was getting closer and closer to the beginning of the semester, I was freaking out um, for me to be able to go. And then ultimately I was out there for a year. And so- You know, you're right. Like these challenges come up. And I I think that if a student is empowered and they feel like they've got at least someone in their support that's cheering them on, they can overcome these obstacles because there's not a single thing that you mentioned that someone cannot overcome. It's just that I think too often they don't know how to or where to look. Um, Whether they're not think, given
2: the opportun they're not given the access or opportunity to do so. If someone didn't come and ask you and say, "Hey, Amanda, I think you'd be good for this," you might right. not have known. And so that's also the thing where access should be given to everyone and let them decide, versus deciding for people or deciding for a group. Like, oh, I just don't think y'all are gonna be good for this. There's nothing that we can't do, and this, and this is something that we've done for the, from the beginning of time before you know we were brought here. <laughs> against our will you know our our ancestors I should say were brought Well, my ancestors were were brought here against their will yeah we we have always had international experiences so I just I I want to make sure that that is what is known I mean versus um and even in scholarly like I'm not just saying a trip or I'm not just saying that uh, people have moved but even in scholarly work we have done that as well it didn't just start in like 19 like 95, you know, like <laughs> right. it's it just been going on for decades. And so it almost boggles my mind of, of this whole notion of, of that, that that deficit model language that is used mm-hmm. all the time or too often, I should say not all the time, but too often that it's tied and then it, they tie it to the challenges. And then just kind of like, instead of saying, I mean, we're resilient people clearly Mm -hmm. we're resilient people we're still here after all the things that black and brown and black people have gone through in this country alone and we're still here so the challenges that that is faced in study abroad ain't nothing compared to some of the challenges that have been faced even living here in the U.S. and so I just want to make I myself and I have some amazing colleagues and amazing friends and and village family that that see that too. So we're we're shifting this narrative that someone likes to hold or that has been held for far too long.
1: No, you're totally right. I mean, and to be fair, that professor told everyone about this thing in Qatar and I'm the only one who said... <laughs> <laughs> well, that should show you. That shows you what we're saying. You just I mean, know. i have a walking example. Even the thing going to Italy. Every time she says something, I said, "Hey, you mentioned that a student went to wherever. How can I make that happen?" And <laughs> and she said, mm-hmm. "Okay, we haven't had a person in a while, but." Let's see. Let's see what can happen. And so now, you know, I'm a walking example of this. So the other thing is, to your point, this is why the black expat exists, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because this deficit idea that we don't do these things, it's just like when people, you know, folks will say here, you know, black people, black women don't swim. I'm like, first of all, half of us come from countries with coastlines that don't make no damn sense. All y'all got ancestors from the Caribbean. You saying black people don't swim? That don't make no sense. It
2: really doesn't. And I want to just shout out my uh, best friend's uh, grandparents who had a pool in their backyard. But, and we had to do our 10 laps until we got older and had to do our 15 laps. So right. thank you, Grandma and Grandpa Henry. Uh, because, yes, but that, they also had that pool because they... Um, her grandparents, the segregation that was going on in the beaches. So uh, it was like, you don't want, okay. So, I mean, and we still enjoy, uh, like, they're back home. But that pool is still enjoyed by us as family and friends to this day. And so the notion of what we, stop saying what we don't do. Right.
1: Because what we do do is, no, and and I think even this, you know, you're right. We're laughing about this idea that, you know, we started doing stuff in 1995. No, we didn't. (laughs) like when you read if you read a history book i'm always going to be an advocate for reading a history book right if you you read a history book of black folks they ain't even got to be american to be honest just black people black people been to a whole bunch of different places for a whole bunch of different reasons and and this idea that you know it's only now that we're really starting to see the world no no (laughs) we've we've been seeing the world i think it's only now that that maybe there's a little bit more access and also that the world is paying attention. Right. Yes. Um, and, and I think that that's different. so, and yeah. then our voices
2: are being heard more like you have mm-hmm. your platform, the black expat. I have cultural curators. We are also being intentional. I mean, there's so many others that are, uh, that are about travel, just like travel itself. Ours has uh different spins on it. Mine is, you know, more towards the international education field and yours is with expats, not just those who are traveling, but, They exist at all of these different resources, all of these blogs and these Instagrams and all of these communities, they exist. They Mm -hmm. have been here and they're still here and there's more coming up, but it's it's also the amplification of, of, of these voices that are now, like you said, are now getting attention or being paid attention to, but they were here before the big rush of, Oh, let's see. No, they were here and they've been doing the darn thing. (laughs) <laughs> Been doing a darn thing before, before December twenty twenty. <laughs> yes, oh before twenty twenty, before twenty nineteen, before 2018. Yes, and it's it's just like that international education. So, I which this is which is also a barrier. So not just for students, but international education as a whole in terms of uh, the employment needs to grow in diversity. Uh, Which is kind of touched on if you only have one or two people in your office, whether Mm -hmm. that be study abroad or international students, that's not enough. Or if there's Mm -hmm. no other representation there, that is not enough. And so the industry itself also has to continue to work on diversifying itself because that's the only way that you're going to see everything else that you want. But it has not just has to be welcoming, but One of the things that I I kept people kept saying, oh, well, maybe we need to change the criteria because maybe there's just not enough, you know, black and brown people who have studied abroad. And I was like, well, where are you looking (laughs) or who don't have those international experiences? Where are you looking? Have you checked the HBCUs down the street? Have you checked the have you even looked at your own institution and see are you creating a pipeline? Is there do they even know that this can be a viable opportunity for them, even if their major is something different? Have you created these pipelines and these relationships and this communication to even say that so that that these black and brown and BIPOC and and students of minoritized communities can even think that that might be an option? Because I didn't think that that was an option for me. And so that's another also thing that has to be thought about in terms of, you know, moving into even international education. Our, we have to continually to create these pipelines so that 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 our students know that this is also an opportunity for them, so that the field can diversify. Uh. I mean, you got some of us are you know we we in it, we 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 down for the cause, and look when we get together, all these our black and brown and BIPOC uh, professionals, it's like homecoming, it's like family reunion. Um, mm-hmm. But we want that to grow because we know what it we know what it takes but we also know what is placed on us and we Mm want to make sure that we open those opportunities for those of us coming behind us so it's not just the students but i know my focus is not it's students but it's also colleagues as well because you can't have one without the other it's not gonna it's not sustainable
1: i mean it's like other fields when they say you know we we would love to hire more black and brown people we just can't find them and i'm (laughs)
2: I'm,
1: I'm just- sorry. I'm sorry. And every time I hear that, it's I mean, I read a site called The Black Expat and it amazes me, right? The number of people who are not black. I mean, they're, they're different reactions for different reasons, but the people who are not black who are just like, this is you know, I've, I've never even thought about this like this is amazing. And I, I remember early on, I think it's gotten better or people just don't say it to my face anymore. People would say, where did you find all these black people? And I'm like, they're all around you. They're not the furniture. <laughs> they're not the trees. Like these are these are black people who are working and traveling and living and they're they're almost all professionals and they're not necessarily all in the careers that you would assume that they're in. And even if they were, whatever, they're still expats. And mm-hmm. and it's it, it this this idea that you cannot find black folks. For me, I always wonder at a very base level, if you were just like, I can't find one and you just don't know at the, could you at least ask the one black person that you know, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. Where could I outreach to this community? Because I'm pretty sure they'll give you an answer.
2: Yeah. And, um, and these days you can do your homework by yourself too. Like you can, which is- Google is still free. Google is still free. And so it's the library, especially if you have an app, you know that you can have books. But, and I say that not in a joking way, but I say that because especially today, and even in international education, there is like, there's a uptick in wanting to learn, wanting to understand, which I think is great. But I also think that it's it's when you're all like when you're always asked these questions, it's tiring. And if yeah. someone ask me questions if I can tell that you've done your homework first I know you're serious because unfortunately there's still this performativeness that's going on as well where it's like oh can you just tell me and can you just show me and can you just can and it can you just can you keep and no (laughs) I cannot can you not (laughs) so it's really important and that's why it's really important that we all do our homework for all of that, for the identities that we do not understand. All of us. It's really important for all of us to do that work. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: But I will say how taxing it has been on my black and Brown colleagues, myself included, especially in 2020 with all the pandemics with an S going on mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. other people wanting to learn and grow but you have to do it. Just think of it as we're talking about education. We both work in education. The professor gives you the topic. You go out there and you do your, your pre-work first. And then you come to have a discussion. It don't change just because you got a degree or because you got a diploma. That's still how that's still an approach to learning. And so I think it has to be it can't just be left on us to do all of that teaching. Even in the study abroad, realm, it cannot just be left to us because we didn't create these systems that have excluded our people. We didn't create them and we're trying to dismantle them, but we can't dismantle them by ourselves because there's other people who are still upholding them. And so I'm proud of the work that I've seen done in study abroad uh, to to help, but we got such a long way to go. We got a long way to go. We got to keep going and we got to keep, we got to keep going with this same energy that, what was it like July and August? Oh, God. (laughs) We got to keep that same energy in November, December. Like, we have
1: to keep that energy. (laughs) You said it, and I got tired. It was a long summer. Like, if it was a long, long, long summer in just intellectually, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Financially in some cases. And yeah, that energy boy, whew, you got to pace yourself. You got to pace yourself. You do. And,
2: you and study abroad has taken many hits in 2020, many hits, but it cannot be, the hit can't. And the hit has happened with our industry in terms of employment as well. And unfortunately in some of some of it has disproportionately affected black and brown people based on some of the positions that have been eliminated. So that we have to continually to even see those things in our field and figure out ways that that can't happen again. Cause Mm. there's no point in recruiting if you can't retain both students Mm. and professionals in the field. And so that's, those are things that I, that I try to work through. um, And and Mm. in my job and just in the field in general
1: girl. And that's that on that. All right. <laughs> well, before I, I let you hop off, I've got some lightning round questions for you. And so hopefully they're, they're a little bit easier to answer than what I, <laughs> what I threw at you earlier. Um, all right, here we go. First, cu- uh, first question. You visited a lot of different countries and I know that this is a relative term, but what has been the best country you've visited so far?
2: I don't have a best country because there's so many, there's so many nuances to each country that I visit. That one's not better than the other. It's just, they're just different.
1: So let's flip it. Favorite country.
2: Yeah, I don't have a favorite country. I just have Corey. amazing, I don't, I have amazing experiences, Corey. but I don't have Corey. a favorite
1: country. I'm going to drive to your house. Corey. <laughs> Sorry. Next question. <laughs> no, you got it. Okay. <laughs> Top two. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't have, I literally don't. I, what I will say, what I will say is this. I appreciated like for my 35th birthday, myself, my sister, and our cousin friend, Shanae, we went to South Africa. So being able to travel mm. with family and friends, That's um, which is always a highlight. Like we've also traveled with like more, more family and friends on like cruises or other places. And to see, uh, like a group of like, you know, black and brown people traveling together. It's Mm -hmm. always, and being a part of that group, it's always, it always feeds my spirit. But then on the flip side, being able to travel solo when I was in grad school, um, Mm -hmm. I traveled to London and Paris by myself. I had never done that to two countries that I have never been to that Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about. That in and of itself was also another experience that I will always cherish because it allowed me to flex and stretch many of the, uh, you know, like allow me to learn about myself as well as these countries and, and and do something step way outside of my comfort zone. But I will shout out to my friends who gave me connections along the way. So I didn't feel like solo, uh, even though I was. But yeah, so it's like traveling by myself and then traveling with family and friends. Um, it just gave me so many different perspectives to, to traveling that I'm never going to stop.
1: Second question, what is one piece of advice that you would give a student or just someone who's traveling for the first time um, when it comes to the ease of transitioning into a new place.
2: Research, 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 research where you're going, and not just the weather. Please know the weather. Please know like what you need to pack and all that. But get down to the culture. I mean, these days when you have YouTube, you have Instagram, you have Facebook, and you also have Google to actually like read a book from about from some um, from an author of the place in which you're going, or or read a, a autobiography or a biography of someone that is going from where you're going, especially if they have an identity like yours or an identity. who who has experienced similar things. But research, there's so many blogs of black and brown people who have gone to different places and get different perspectives because one person may have had a great experience here and maybe someone else different. And both of those can help you to inform what you want to do, where you want to go, places you may want to see. Podcasts like this are also great to get to experience, to get to hear experiences of black and brown people who have gone to locations you might be interested in. But research that. That's one thing I can say that will help to, um, will help you to prepare on the flip side, if you haven't researched, regardless if you research it not be open, be open, be respectful which research will help you do because every all customs in, are not the same, and so those are the things I would say to research and to be open to the experience as for what it is, not any instead of having preconceived notions.
1: Third question post COVID whenever Whatever that is, where are you excited to go to next?
2: So uh, we were, my family and I were supposed to go to uh, on a cruise in the south, through the Panama Canal, South America, mm-hmm. uh, January 2021. But we have postponed that to January 2022. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And my friend is a foreign service officer and she will be stationed in Bogota, Colombia in 2022. So I'm also looking forward to going there.
1: Oh, my gosh. First of all, y'all are smart on the cruise. I literally just saw a story today where I think one of the cruise companies opened back up and the people tested for COVID. Yeah, we're not playing no okay? games. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, nope. uh, yeah, not. Nah, nah. okay. Oh, my gosh. Corey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, I think that your knowledge about international education is definitely going to be key, especially for those who've got students Mm -hmm. who may be thinking about it and, and just kind of giving some insight as to why we need more of our students of color to go abroad.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Amanda.
1: The Global Chatter from the Black Expat is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is executive produced by Justin Williams. You can find all episodes of The Global Chatter on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcast.